don't forget to bring the Bayeux Tapestry to a place of safety. August 18, 1944. Himmler sent this message to Karl Oberg, head of the SS in France. The iconic masterpiece was to be taken to Berlin before Paris was reduced to rubble. Bletchley Park codebreakers intercepted this signal sent to SS chiefs in Paris by Hitler's Gestapo chief, then alerted the French resistance, who were able to occupy the Louvre 48 hours before the Germans arrived. Just days later, this medieval embroidery depicting 11th century life and war was found safely packed away in a crate in the basement of the Louvre. Bletchley Park, an English country house and estate in Milton Keynes, Buckinghamshire, housed the government code and cipher school during World War II, regularly penetrating secret communications from the Axis powers, including the German Enigma and Lorenz ciphers. A team of codebreakers included Alan Turing, Gordon Welchman, Hugh Alexander, Bill Tutt and Stuart Milner Barry, along with the ultra-intelligence produced at Bletchley. Without their work, the outcome of the war was uncertain, so their code-breaking was pivotal in shortening the war by at least two to four years. It appears after a long-lost file containing thousands of intercepts was found in the National Archives that Bletchley Park codebreakers were intercepting messages to Nazi police stations and SS barracks even before the outbreak of war and had compiled a dossier on Nazi looting operations. Some of these looted masterpieces were reserved for high-ranking Nazis and in his castle at Westphalia, Himmler had supposedly reserved space for an Aryan artwork. Hello and welcome to the Stitch Safari podcast, a sprightly and upbeat expedition into the alluringly appealing ambrosial world of stitch history, art and embroidery. Each fortnight, we'll trek through and discover the utilitarian, the decorative, the quirky and the just plain fun world that is the art of the needle. My name's Kathy Jack Copeland and I'm the Stitch Safari Expedition Leader. I'm an Australian textile artist, teacher, judge, blogger and stitch enthusiast whose work in contemporary machine stitch became my business. But wasn't the tapestry safe in the Chateau Sauchet? The simple answer is, it was. Enter Matilda, a secret operation called Special Project Brittany, codenamed Matilda. It was brought into play uh, where it was to be taken from Sauchet to Berlin in two stages to make it less obvious that the tapestry was being taken out of France. It could easily be moved to Paris under the guise of an exhibition to help lift morale and, once in SS hands, secretly spirited out of France altogether. 
troops from the UK, the US, Canada and France attacked German forces on the coast of northern France on June 6, 1944. It was the largest military, naval, air and land operation ever attempted and marked the start of the campaign to liberate Nazi-occupied Northwest Europe. And ironically, on June 8, Bayeux was the very first town liberated by Allied forces. June 14, General, uh, General Charles de Gaulle entered Bayeux and at that very moment, Himmler contacted the German ambassador in Paris, expressing fears for the tapestry's safety at Sauchet, suggesting it be moved to another location the Louvre in Paris. So, under the pretense of ensuring its safety, and despite increased bombing, which would surely have put the tapestry at greater risk, and with Allied forces making speedy progress towards Paris, a group from the Gestapo carrying submachine guns, along with the historic monuments inspector, turned up at the office of the curator in charge of the chateau, German Basin, on June 27. Working from a bed in his office, he'd recently injured himself, Basin initially refused to tell them the location of the tapestry, even though he well knew exactly where it was. Basin's boss, Jujard, had not added his signature to the controversial order to move the tapestry, leaving the decision to Bayzin as to how to deal with this unpopular decision. Bayzin gave in. So in a period of unimaginable danger, the Bayer tapestry was again on its way back to Paris and the Louvre. Thankfully, the codebreakers at Bletchley Park intercepted Himmler's message and tipped off the French resistance, who had successfully accessed the Louvre. Now, the tapestry also played a role in D-Day preparations, with postcards depicting the tapestry written with the message Love and Kisses, sent by a young resistance worker, André Heinz, used to inform other members of his cell that he had received the radio message warning that the invasion was imminent. News had leaked out about, uh, about the tapestry's removal from Sauchet, and now the English were anxious, as their perception was that the tapestry was more English than French, leading to Lady Apsley, Conservative MP for Bristol Central, asking this question in the House of Commons on July 25 to Sir John Grigg, Secretary of State for War whether he has any information regarding the whereabouts of the Bayer tapestry reported to have been moved by the Germans. His response wrongly suggested it was in store in the south of France, along with other objects from the French National Museums. General Dietrich von Choltitz a Prussian professional soldier with a formidable reputation, was put in charge of Paris by Hitler due to the speed of the Allied advance. 
Hitler had engineers place bombs around electricity and gas installations, telephone exchanges, under the Seine bridges, Notre Dame and museums in Paris. And his orders to von Choltitz was that in the last resort, the city of Paris was to be razed to the ground. Nothing was to be left for Allied use, celebration or recapture. Von Choltitz said after a meeting with Hitler, I cannot implement this insane order. Even Field Marshal Erwin Rommel warned that the recapture of Paris by the Allies would be operationally, politically, economically and psychologically decisive. But now the Allies were at the gates of Paris and von Choltitz was playing for time, wanting to surrender without causing wanton destruction when two immaculately dressed SS officers presented themselves at his office on August 22, 1944. And this is the dialogue taken from Carola Hicks' wonderful book, The Bayer Tapestry, The Life Story of a Masterpiece. On the orders of the Reichsfuhrer of the SS, we have come to remove the Bayer tapestry to a place of safety. Some chance, von Choltis responds. Are you really intending to take it out of its shelter? Yeah, Herr General. That would make me very happy, he said. Please come with me to the balcony. From there, they all overlooked the Rue de Rivoli and part of the Louvre. Missiles were falling and spurts of machine gun fire could be heard. You see, said von Choltitz, the tapestry is down there in the cellars of the Louvre. But, Herr General, the Louvre is occupied by the enemy? Of course it is, and heavily so, in order to shell the prefecture of police beyond. This was one of the first buildings to fall to the French, uh, French insurgents, but was retaken by the Germans. But under these conditions, Herr General, how can we possibly seize the tapestry? Gentlemen, you are in charge of the best soldiers in the world. I will put five or six of my top men at your disposal and give covering fire to get you across the Rue de Rivoli. Then you only have to break down one of the Louvre doors and fight your way to the tapestry. Surely the French government evacuated the tapestry a long time ago, one of the soldiers asks hopefully. Not at all. The tapestry is certainly there, but you will have to remove it by force. So, gentlemen, today the tapestry can be rescued under your command. Von Choltitz correctly assessed the two SS men as wearing uniforms rather than being proper soldiers. Reports from here on in are sketchy. There's one suggesting the officers did actually turn up at the Louvre and were told the keys were lost. While they were waiting, rounds of bullets were sprayed from inside the museum. After two hours' indecision, they declared the tapestry was no longer there and left. The Allies liberated Paris on August 25 and the Bayeux tapestry was safe. September 1, the Times in England announced this. 
reports have reached London that the Bayeux Tapestry has been found in the Louvre in Paris. This prompted an editorial entitled History in Pictures, stating that the tapestry had always been used as propaganda from the Normans to Napoleon, noting how kings and conquerors manipulated visual images to promote themselves. This prompted a further report on September 3, stating, Among the many mysteries of the war has been the fate of the Bayeux Tapestry, but this has now been solved. It's in a sub-basement of the Louvre, in spite of the attempts of the Germans, with the help of the Vichy regime, to remove it. Bayeux's mayor, Dodeman, had only just been informed the tapestry was in Paris prior to being asked permission to display it as part of a series of exhibitions in Paris to celebrate liberation, the revival of cultural life and the survival of France's artistic heritage. Hung in the Italian Primitives Gallery, the exhibition was timed to coincide with celebrations surrounding Churchill's visit to Paris on Armistice Day, November 11. Matilda was back on exhibition at the Louvre, a place she had not seen since the time of Napoleon. Exceptional coverage was given to the tapestry in La Figaro on November 17, devoting an entire section of its front page to the exhibition. The open and spacious location received praise from critic and arts correspondent Andre Warnard, who noted that this made the narrative far easier to follow than the restricted and convoluted layout in Bayeux. An article on the tapestry exhibition also featured in a new magazine, The Arts to France, founded in homage to those who suffered in camps and prisons. And this was to redefine the work in more modern, critical terms, stating... Its artists were not interested in naturalism, correct perspective or anatomy, but worked in an expressionist, stripped-down, symbolic style with deliberately non-realistic colours to achieve a decorative, two-dimensional effect. This is the most accurate critical evaluation of the work I have come across. Finally, on March 2, 1945, Mayor Dodeman and Mademoiselle Abraham received back into their care the Bayeux Tapestry, returned by the Louvre and escorted by Dupont, the man who had accompanied the Gestapo to Chateau Sorchet. The tapestry had become a potent symbol of survival. Of those who worked on the tapestry during the war, one sadly shot himself, his wife and his daughter. One was tried at Nuremberg and received the death sentence and most of the others seem to have resumed their careers. General von Choltitz, released in 1947, is remembered as the man who saved Paris from Hitler and was awarded the Legion of Honour. 
Jan Kuhn's 400 black and white prints did indeed survive and are available for purchase as microfiche. And these powerful and profound words can be found on the memorial of the British Military Cemetery erected in Bayeux by the British government to honour the Commonwealth soldiers who perished at the Battle of Normandy during the summer of 1944. We, once conquered by William, have now set free the conqueror's native land. And how fitting, ten days after D-Day, the Duke of Normandy himself visited his army on the beaches of Normandy. Who was the Duke of Normandy? The King of England, George VI. What a nod to history and to the Bayeux Tapestry. And that's just given me goosebumps. Wow, what a story. The Battle of Hastings and the victory by William over Harold would not have held such power without that visual narrative of the tapestry embroidered by medieval female hands laid out in a cartoon of events. I can't explain why, but I feel such a connection with this embroidery. Its convoluted history simply fuels my passion and I hope these last five episodes have fueled yours too. One of my maxims, which I hold dear, is that to move forward, we must look back. And the Bayer Tapestry is there to inspire us all. Whether that means research, embroidery, design, storytelling, it doesn't matter. And in my next episode, and yes, it still revolves around the tapestry, I want to explore the tapestry as an influencer. Thank you for listening and for your time. This is such a curiously uplifting journey. Remember, Stitch Safari is on Facebook and Instagram, where I regularly post on both platforms. Till my next episode, goodbye for now. Mm -hmm.